Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. Did your parents do that to you? Were were they focused so much on what you did wrong, or did they encourage you and constantly lift you up, as Lowell just said, and, and, and get a chance to invest in you on things that you do right? Um, that's what we want to talk about. Um, how can this, how can this work itself out? I was talking with Al Frey. Some of you may know him. He is, uh, he is one of our biggest cheerleaders in the youth ministry here. His sons just graduated last year and went to college. And, and, uh, so he has five, five kids, four kids, four, four kids. Um, and they're all in college. They're all walking with the Lord, which is a, an amazing thing that I wish, I hope that for all of us in this room, that our kids would all be graduated and walking with the Lord. That's our goal, right? Um, and, but Alf told me when he first started getting involved in the student ministry as a coach and as a small group leader and stuff, he went to talk to David Grant, who had this position before me. And he was very concerned because one of his kids was wearing a baseball hat to church. And he felt like they really, he just needed to talk to David and find out what was up with that. Now, most of you, if you're from my generation or older, wearing a baseball hat to church is not something I'd be too thrilled about, right? In general, that is not something that, that I uh, would, would, would want to see happen. But when you start comparing wearing a baseball hat to church with all the things, the pitfalls of being a teenager right now with drugs and alcohol and sex, or just not loving Jesus, right? Wearing a baseball hat is not going to be very high on the list, in fact, it's probably not on the list at all. That is something that is a, an issue of propriety, but it is not an issue of sin, okay? And so it doesn't mean that you ignore things like that, but it is something that, it was funny because as he started talking to David and he was like, let me tell you what you really need to be concerned about. Next thing you know, he's saying, well, what can I do? How can I volunteer? How can I get involved? And he moved towards his kids, okay, instead of, instead of back, all right? He engaged more and more. Uh, this works itself out in my life. I'll give you an example that I've just recently had. Um, with my daughter, uh, we have a rule at our house that, you know, it's, and it's not even a rule, really. It's just basic understanding that if you use a towel in the bathroom, you hang it up, right? I mean, that's just most of you probably feel the same way, okay? Um, and I'll tell you what the temptation is. There are times when I, I go in, I still, my daughter's a freshman in high school, and I still go in to tuck her into bed um, pretty often, and sometimes, and I've said this in here before, that is the only interaction she and I have had in the course of a day, all right, where it's one-on-one, where she has my full attention. Now, if I'm walking in there, and it's 10 o'clock at night, and I'm stepping over a wet towel to get to her bed, what is my temptation to do? My temptation is to just go off, okay? And I have before. Tirza, how many times have we told you that you should not leave your towel on the floor. It's not that hard to do, la, la, la. All right, I can just go off on that. And that, and that is a normal kind of thing that probably happens in your, in your household and mine a hundred times a day. Now, here's the thing. Put your, let's switch it around and put yourself in her position. She hasn't seen her dad all day. This is the one time she's asked me to come in and pray with her before she goes to sleep. And if I begin that interaction by walking into her room and going off on her, because of a towel that's on the floor. I don't know what she's dealt with during the day. 
She's just started high school. How important is that towel in the course of what's going on in her life? It so doesn't matter, okay, in the, in the reality of life. Now, what's, what's, what's hard about this is what, one thing that we need to do then is separate responsibility from rebellion. Don't equate issues of irresponsibility or responsibility with issues of the heart or rebellion. And that's a real temptation. I actually got that principle from Ted Tripp in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, which is for little kids 20 years ago or 15 years ago, as Cammie and I read that before we had Tirza, because he said, when your little kids are growing up, don't spank them for things that are childish irresponsibility. You spank them for things that have to do with, with sin or rebellion. And that principle, if you carry it all the way up, we don't forget that principle. We have to keep that principle in mind as we're shepherding teenagers. Because what can happen is then we start to focus on behavior of of irresponsibility. You didn't get your chores done, or you didn't do this, or you didn't do that. And what happens is that clogs all of our communication with them. And we elevate those things to levels of, of morality. And then we don't have the ability to communicate. When the real issues of morality come up, we start to cloud and, and, and clog up that communication pathway between our kids when we do that. Our fear is we want to continually, we want to see those kids grow into mature and equipped adults who love Jesus, right? We want to see that happen, and we're trying to prepare them in a host of different ways. The towel on the floor, for example, is an issue of stewardship in the home, right? It's, it's an issue of basic uh, manners and, and, and caring who's doing laundry and things like that. So, I mean, that's an, I don't want to say that's not an important issue, period. And that's a part of what we're trying to accomplish. Um, so we are constantly trying to get them ready for the fact that they're going to be a grown-up, and we've got to get them ready for that. And so, but sometimes we can start preparing, comparing them to the ideal as we're doing that. And, and just thinking, okay, all the things that you need to know, I've got to get you ready. And, and so that's what we focus on. Um, what our kids do, though, they don't compare themselves to this ideal or what they're supposed to be. What they compare themselves to constantly is their peers. You're comparing them and trying to get them ready maybe to be, to be an adult, and they're comparing them to their peers. I'll never forget, I was in a Bible study, and I was talking, and uh, this was about over 10 years ago, and I was this one student who was just a he, you know, he was a good-looking, athletic high school kid who was pretty good morally. You know, he didn't do the big sins. Like, uh, you know, he wasn't sleeping around. He wasn't getting drunk. He wasn't doing drugs. And he made this bold statement that was like, well, my parents are just lucky to have me. I mean, they should just be, because he was really upset at rules they were trying to put on him or things. And he was saying, they, they should just be thrilled that I'm breathing, you know, because I am, I'm, I'm bringing them honor, you know, in general. I'm, I'm awesome. You know, that's what he's saying. And I read, I read this passage to him because herein lies the rub. Um, Luke 17 says, suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. And after that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank his servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Okay? There's a sense in which, should your son or daughter not have sex and get drunk and and do drugs? 
Absolutely. Do they deserve a huge pat on the back just for doing what they're supposed to do, right? I mean, that's a part of our rub is to say, yeah, that's, you're doing all those things. Congratulations. You're just being obedient in what you're supposed to do. There's a part of us that wants to say, well, of course, that's what you're doing. That's who you're supposed to be. That's what God calls you to be. So when they're comparing themselves to their peers who are getting into all kinds of trouble and in all kinds of rebellion, we don't necessarily give them credit when they're not doing that, okay? And that's who they're doing it. So how do we balance this? Because um, the other verse from Ephesians 6, which we can continue, it seems like month after month we can talk about this verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So therein lies the rub for us as parents, right? We can on the one hand say, okay, he's not going to thank his servant for doing, him, for doing what he told him to do, right? The servant is a servant, and that's what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to be this way. And on the other side, it says, don't provoke your children. This verse is in there for a reason, right? Paul said, don't provoke your children, because parents, as parents, we have the ability to provoke them. All right? So so where is the balance in these things? When does our instruction move to provocation? When does our instruction move from just instructing into the area of provocation? And I'll say one of the ways I think it does this is when we start comparing them to their friends or to ourselves at their age. When you and I compare our kids to their friends or to themselves at our age and start to mistrust them when they don't deserve it. That's, that's one of the dangers that we have. It's easy for us to mistrust our kids because we do know there's a lot of trouble they can get into when they haven't necessarily earned that mistrust. Uh, I've shared this story in here before, but it was pivotal and I'll probably share it more than once. But Cammie and I, when it came time to give Tears a cell phone, was like a big, huge deal for us. And last month, we talked about the issue of respect and control that we get into as parents. And that was a huge deal for us getting into this idea of control. Cammy knew that if we gave Tears a cell phone, we were giving up some control of her life, right? Right now, we controlled, you know, she, she was in the eighth grade. And so giving her that cell phone, suddenly she could talk to people that we didn't know, you know, necessarily know what was going on. She can text people. I mean, you start entering the cyber world and, and what you control really starts to change. Okay, and so that was really scary. But a part of that discussion that we had was we said, hey, wait a second. Why are we acting like she's going to suddenly go off the deep end and start doing all of these things that are uncharacteristic for who she is as a person? See, the temptation was for us to immediately start and give tons of rules and just bring the hammer down if you step over this line. But Tirza didn't deserve that. She had never shown us that that's the kind of character she had, that that's who she was. So again, a part of this, when our temptation is to compare them, see, I've, I work with teenagers. I know all the abuses that they can do with their cell phone. I deal with it all the time. You know, and so I had this conversation with her about these, some of these pitfalls and some of these different things, but... To start out by mistrusting her is, is one of those ways that I can frustrate her. Um, we even had a, a neat situation the other night. She was getting ready to go up and do homework, and she said, hey, I'm going upstairs to do homework, and I'm taking my iPad, but I want you to know that I'm taking this iPad up there not to play on it or anything. I need it for my homework, and she started to go into this long thing to tell us, and we said, I, I took the opportunity to say, wait a second, 
you don't have to go into all that. It's enough for you to say that you need the iPad because I know your heart. And I know that if you tell me you're going upstairs and you're going to use it for homework, that that's what you're going to do. I don't have to start out by mistrusting you. Okay? Now, part of that is that I do have to know her heart. I have to engage with her often enough that I really do know what she's doing with her cell phone. I do have to know what she's doing with the iPad. Um, I don't have to constantly worry about the control and, 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 and having all these safeguards in place, but I do have to stay engaged. When I say this, I don't mean that it's a blind trust. You have to stay engaged and know. It doesn't mean I don't do spot checks. It doesn't mean I don't pick up her phone and go through her texts. And by the way, in my house, we have an open door policy that before she even got the phone, I said, hey, I can pick up your phone at any time. I don't ever want you to delete texts. I can go through them. And then when she starts to complain, I've said this before, I say, you can pick up my phone and go through my texts. I don't have anything to hide from you. She doesn't want to go through my texts. <laughs> I know that. That's my ace in the hole. My texts are boring. Okay. So, she, so I take that out of her to say, you know, and I say, we're responsible for each other. I'm responsible for protecting you. So I do check on her. I do these things. Yes. Yeah, but I think your, your, your comment is really right on target. Our kids are a little older, and uh, what I learned more and more is, and Randy Corbett really emphasizes this, that we're living by rules, and why our kids are to obey a bunch of rules. We're just way, way off. We're not even in the right stadium. We're not in the right county. We're not in the right state. If you can have a kid who looks really good on the outside, like Lowell was talking about, Following all your rules, but they're they live in, they're living another life. Every one of our teenagers has two lives. Every one of them. <clears throat> the big issue is how much differences there between the life that we see and the life that they're they're living when they're not with us. And, and the key to that, in my opinion, is that you have to have a relationship. So I'll, I'll take our daughter out to dinner every once in a while, or I'll just sit with her and ask her a bunch of questions. I'm not. We we like to tell our kids what to do, but a lot of times, if you want to get to know them, you have to ask them a bunch of questions. What's going on? What's happening at school? What's happening in your life? And you want to relate on a heart level. If you, if you don't really know your child, you're, you're just kidding yourself. They, can, they know how to play the game. They know how to look good. So it's really a matter of a relationship and trust. And so for me, rather than have a bunch of rules, there are really three concepts. Love, honor, and respect. In every, in every conversation, in every interaction, love this child. Honor them. And my honor them when you ask a bunch of questions like they're a criminal, you're not honoring them. What you're doing is interrogating them, and you're alienating them. What they're really uh, hungry for, in my opinion, is love and acceptance. Every one of us wants want love and acceptance, just like we want from, from God. If we have a really authentic relationship with God, we want love and acceptance. It doesn't mean we don't mess up. It doesn't mean we don't need to reconcile. But we want this fundamental relationship. So... If you're living in a household with a bunch of rules, you're making a big mistake. Randy Popa said it well. Your children will rebel. And the ones with the, with the most strict households, your children are likely to rebel and never come back. Well, yeah, I think, I think you, you, there's a lot of wisdom there, loving, honoring, and respecting your kids. Um, you know, and again if, if, again, if you come to parent you on a regular basis, we, we're talking about a lot of these different issues that you're bringing up, ways to have, you know, dates with your kids, ways to continually engage them. And, and if you've missed some of these, you can go back and, and listen to the podcast. And again, we'll keep touching on some of these issues. Um, also, for Tears, though, going back just to the cell phone issue, 
we didn't just start out with, hey, here's a smartphone either. You know, there was a lot of things. She started out with the cheapest phone possible, and there was checks and balances, and I saw how she did with that. How did she, was she responsible? So there's, there's different steps and things that you do to build up to that level. So it's, again, staying engaged, seeing the heart, and knowing, knowing what they're doing. I think we can learn a lot from, from this idea of focusing on the wrong thing from Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. Okay, and let's take a look at that real quick again in Luke chapter 11. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so, so he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. And then down in verse 46, he says, And woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens that are hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Okay, so two different things that I think are insights from this passage where Jesus interacts with the scribes and the Pharisees. One is outside appearances that we can tend to focus on that instead of looking at the heart. Uh, those are, that's one of our temptations as parents is to get into that. Um, when I was in late junior high and early high school, I used to actually go down and hang out and stay out in the summertime till about one to three in the morning, believe it or not. Now, most of you would think, why in the world would your parents let you hang out till one in the morning? Uh, part of it was because they knew who I was and they knew who I was with. Uh, my friend down the street, let me tell you the horrible things that we did in the summertime until one in the morning. We played Nintendo. We also watched music videos. Now, many of you may remember before music video, before MTV came out, they just played music videos, but they didn't come on until 11 o'clock at night. Well, music was a big part of our lives as teenagers, and so we would stay up to see Michael Jackson do the first moonwalk, you know, on the music videos. And so we would watch music videos, and we would play video games, or we would play a big game of Risk, Okay. Now, probably one of the most edgy things that we did was we would roll this girl's yard. Has anybody in here ever rolled somebody's yard? Okay. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's probably illegal. Okay. The reason it was fun was because it was illegal. But it was also a pretty harmless illegal thing to do. I lived in a little tiny town where everybody knew everybody, you know, 20,000 people. And there was nothing to do, really. Uh, there was one movie theater in town with like one screen, you know, it was that kind of town, you know, like three lights and two of them blink yellow. You know, that was like the town I grew up in. And so we would go clean it up the next day. Like it was harmless fun. And my mom knew my heart and she knew what was going on. It would be easy to say, you can't go hang out with your friends because it's 11 o'clock at night or it's midnight. But she knew what, who I was with and she knew what I was doing and she knew who I was as a person. And that's what I'm saying. Don't focus so much on the outward appearance that you miss who your child is because then you can, you can make decisions that, you know, some of my fondest memories now are those times between midnight and one or two in the morning. And again, I really didn't do it. I wasn't involved in anything bad. Now that's me. You got to know your child. It depends on the child. Now, but see, we can get clogged up with thinking of other kids or we can get clogged up with thinking of ourselves. Remember going back to the previous point, what were you like in high school? You can think, I never got, I've always heard that nothing good happens between 11 and, you know, after 11 o'clock at night. 
And as a general rule, that's true when you're looking at society. But know your child. Don't just focus on the outward appearance. A lot of people, I mean, I've seen it in movies. I've heard of it many times where someone will say, you're not leaving the house wearing that to your daughter, okay? That's too immodest for you to wear. I'm not saying that's not a good thing. You should be aware. You should be engaged. You should watch these things with your kids and know what's going on. How many of you knew or did yourself pack the shorts and the tank top in your purse and take it to school and then put it on? Or did you know someone who did that? Okay? Your kids can get around the rule. If you just have the rule and you're not engaged, like the rule, the, engaging the heart would be, why do you want to dress like that? What is going on in you what that, that has to do with that rather than just focusing on the outward appearance? Okay, again, many people have come to me over the years and said, why don't you have a dress code at youth group? Okay, that can be something that, that is a criticism that I've received. How come you guys don't have a dress code at youth, at youth group? One reason I don't is because I don't want to be the clothing police all the time. My job is to engage your kid's heart. And if I'm focused on just the outward appearance, I don't get into the heart. And then I become the clothing police, and every kid is just like, well, you told me not to wear those shorts, and look at the shorts she's got on. And, uh, uh, and, then, and then the whole focus changes off of the heart and what's going on in Jesus. And it all becomes about the rules. And if we're not careful as parents, it can all become about the rules at our houses, too, and about the rules instead of, again, what's going on in the heart. The next point is adding to the law, what the scribes did, things that aren't important to God can also get you in trouble like this. We tend to elevate things to the level of sin that are not sin. We, again, that, that whole issue or I mentioned earlier, the baseball hat at church, okay? That's an issue of propriety. It's not an issue of sin. Again, you can... Why they're wearing it now, I'm not saying it couldn't be a sinful act, but I'm just saying in general, we've got to put things in perspective. Uh, one of the things, and this tends to be the older kids, okay, rather than, than the younger, but one huge issue that I constantly see come up with kids going off to college and things like that tends to be, and I'm, I, I'm just throwing this out there, in areas of tattoos, piercings, purple hair, or cigars, okay? I'm just throwing those out. Those are some issues that what did tattoos, piercings, cigars, or smoking, and uh, piercings mean to our generation when we were younger? It very much had to do with rebellion. I'm, I got news for you. A tattoo right now has nothing to do with rebellion anymore. It can, don't mean that, but it is so trendy. If I go to a youth pastor convention, there are going to be about half or over half of the youth pastors and, uh, that work in youth ministry have tattoos. That's just the reality, okay? They all have things that say, here's my favorite Bible verse in Greek or Hebrew. I mean, North Point even did a funny thing on worship leaders, and they were mocking worship their, themselves, and they actually, the guy holds out his arm, and he's like, here's my tattoo, so you know I'm relevant. And like, it was a part of the joke of the, they were making fun of themselves because they're like, yeah, every worship leader has a tattoo. Every worship leader has uh, you know, something like that. And so, but I have heard things where people are just elevating these to an issue of sin. Like, like it's horrible. Know what is, what is the heart of your kid with, with when it comes to these things? Is it wise to get a tattoo? No, it's permanent forever, okay? <laughs> I, I'm not saying that it's not an issue of wisdom, okay? It can definitely be an issue of wisdom. 
engage your kids and say, hey, maybe you should wait until you're 25 because by then you're going to know who you are a little better. And if you're going to do that, you know, that's up to you. But for us to elevate these things, like, I mean, I remember when I was young, pierced ears was like the big thing. And it was, I can remember guys telling me, believe it or not, my ears pierced, okay, Um, because that was something I did when I was in the military after I left home. And no one had their ear pierced back in the late 80s. I mean, that was like, again, it just didn't happen. And now it's not a big deal. Most people don't think anything about it. But guys would tell me, oh, if my dad told me if I ever got my ear pierced, what would he do? He would come up and grab it and pull it out of your ear. Okay, if I've heard that once, I've heard it 20 times, that that's what he would do. I don't think any of us are going to get to heaven and God's going to go, you know what? You know where we lost the United States? Tattoos and piercings and cigars. If it wasn't for that, we, that would be a Christian nation still. I just don't think necessarily that that is the issue that God is the most focused on. Not that you should, I absolutely think you should engage on these issues with your kids, but let's not elevate them to the level that these other things are at. Um, I, one of the ways this really came home to me, when I was working at a church in Charlotte, there was a guy who worked with the, in the children's ministry, and I was new on staff there, and I was in seminary, and he came up, and he would start talking to me about how much he loved my kid and other kids, and those are his babies. I mean, he called them his babies, and he was just so engaged and involved in the children's ministry, and he reeked of cigarettes. And I was really just, I was new. I was like, this guy is a chain smoker, and he's working with our kids. Does anybody know that he's working with our kids? How are they letting him work with our kids? This guy smokes like crazy and because you can just smell it on him. What is going on? And then I, I got a chance about six months after I worked there to get hear his testimony. And he was a hardcore drug addict who followed around like the Grateful Dead. You know, one of those guys who was just doing acid and uh, was seeped in debauchery and sin and horrible. And Jesus had delivered him from all of that. And when I heard his story, I thought, you know, the cigarettes probably is not that big a deal. (laughs) Like in general, it's unhealthy and it's stupid and it could kill him and probably will one day, right? We know that. We're not not dumb. We're educated. But he knows that. But compared to where he was, that is nothing. There are bigger things in his life that he needs to deal with than than that. I mean, maybe now after his sanctification is at a certain level, God's going to deal with that in its own time too. But let's, I just want to keep those things in perspective. Um, Don't make a big deal about things that are not eternal. What we should be making a big deal about things with our kids is what's eternal. Not these outward trappings, not again, things in society. Let me close with this. Um, I got about six things try to wrap this up and some of these things I've already said, but I'm just going to hit them again. Number one, don't elevate issues of, res- of irresponsibility to issues of sin. Okay, they're not on the same level and they shouldn't be. Uh, we can create a battlefield over the issues of irresponsibility that keeps us from communicating when it really matters. Okay, so don't, don't do that. Um, dig under these circumstances to the heart of the issue. Dig under the issue or under the circumstances of this outward appearance and get to the heart so that you know what's going on inside of them. That's number two. Number three, don't start with mistrust until they give you a reason. One of the things that provokes our kids to anger is we just right out of the gate don't trust them 
because of we're comparing them then to other kids instead of to who they really are. And that's something that we've got to focus on. Number four, weigh the cost of lecturing on something as to where your level of recent deposits and withdrawals are. Okay, now I didn't really get into that. Many of you may be familiar with this concept. If you think of your relationship, any relationship really, but your relationship with your kid as uh, you deposit love into their love bank, okay? And then when you have a fight, you're doing withdrawal or you're telling them no for something they really want, right? That's a withdrawal out of their love bank. If you can just keep that concept in your mind, where are you with deposits and withdrawals? Some of us get into these habits where it's all withdrawal. You know, every interaction is negative and every interaction is a battle. And think about that before you go in. Again, that wet towel is, is just one of those things. Is this really worth me going all in on right now in this issue? When maybe you could, you could handle that a different way. Um, When that happens, schedule time to address responsibility issues. Because again, you can get sidetracked on managing your household and and elevate those things when it comes to managing your household and totally torpedo your relationship when you really need to be talking about sin. So um, one of the things that we do, for example, let's say, again, I told you this issue of the wet towel, which is, I know it keeps coming up, but... um, I can schedule a family meeting. We have these at our house occasionally. Let's all sit down with all the kids, and then we can say, hey, here's some things that I've been noticed that are adding up that you're not doing. You know? And you can address those responsibility issues in a meeting like that, and it's, it takes the anger out of it of the moment. It takes, it takes it out, but they still know it's an issue that they have to work on, and that it's a problem. So schedule time. You can do that in a date, which, uh, which was mentioned You know, it's when you're sitting down. There's different ways or different times that you can handle that. And then lastly, try to empathize with your kids. Put yourself in their position. Again, I'm asking you to pull that drawer out from when you were in high school and go back and remember what it was like to to be a teenager. Um, There's really probably never been a more self-centered time in your life than when you were a teenager. But the teenagers today, the amount of pressure that they're under to uh, the amount of pressure they're under for grades and school the amount of pressure they're under at home, just in all kinds of areas, is intense. Um, and it is different from when, when I was in high school uh, over 20 years ago. It's very different. And so try to put yourself in their, in their shoes and listen to them. Spend some time really just, just drawing them out and making deposits, asking them about their day, finding out what's going on in their lives, uh, and so that it's not always an issue of correction. And remember, uh, lastly, that God is more merciful than we are, okay? He loves your kids. He loves our kids more than we do, and He is the perfect parent, and, and He is so much more gracious than... Uh, think about how gracious He is with us, you know, when you're interacting with your kid and, and thinking about that. And uh, let me, let me, let's go ahead and close. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Um, Lord, we... we uh, can get so off track and so focused on just the 10% of things that our kids do wrong and, um, and focus in and not see the so, many, so many of the things that they're doing right. We pray that we would see their hearts. And Lord, we know that we don't have the ability to shape their hearts, but you do. Um, help us to lead our households with grace. Help us to lead them with humility. Help us to share our stories, Lord, of our own failures with our kids. Uh, even in the midst of their failure, as we come alongside them 
though there may be consequences for their actions, help us to come in and say, you know what, when I was your age, let me tell you what I did, and share with them our own failures. Lord, um, you live the life we could never live, um, and, and we get the benefit of that, of your righteousness, and help us, Lord, to walk in the power of the Spirit as we parent our kids. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org students for more information. Thank you.